is Laura London, and you're listening to Speaking of Jung. Returning to the podcast for episode 76 is Jungian analyst and clinical psychologist Susan E. Schwartz in Paradise Valley, Arizona. She holds a master's degree in social work from Boston University and a diploma in analytical psychology, which is the degree of a Jungian analyst from the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich. After completing her analytic training, she returned to the United States and obtained a Ph.D. in clinical psychology from the Union Institute. Dr. Schwartz has taught developing Jung groups for many years in Poland and South Africa with the International Association of Jungian Analysts and has been a course instructor at both the C.G. Jung Institute and the International School of Analytical Psychology in Zurich. She has presented her work at various congresses of the IAAP, including The Dead Mother Effect on a Daughter in Montreal in 2010, Narcissism, Aging, Anima Mundi, Paradox and Necessity in Kyoto in 2016, and Narcissism, Psychological Oneness, Excluding Love of the Other in Vienna in 2019. Dr. Schwartz has written several journal articles and book chapters on fathers and daughters, the Puella archetype, and Sylvia Plath. In 2018, she was nominated for the Gradiva Award for Best Article by the National Association for the Advancement of Psychoanalysis for the Dead Father Effect on the Psyche of a Daughter, Sylvia Plath. She is the co-author of two books, Couples at the Crossroads, Five Steps to Finding Your Way Back to Love with Dr. Daniela Rohrer and Aging and Becoming, A Reflective Inquiry with Susan Scott. Her new book, The Absent Father Effect on Daughters, Father Desire, Father Wounds, will be released later this month and it is the subject of our talk today. Please visit the website speakingofjung, that's J-U-N-G, where you'll find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, November 11th, 2020, through the magic of Zoom. Hi, Dr. Schwartz. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for returning to the podcast. It was my pleasure to have you here. It's been almost two years ago now. It was episode 40. And I will provide a link to that in the show notes. You know, I just re-listened to that episode, as I mentioned to you when we were chatting, and I had forgotten a lot of that material. And it is so much what I wanted this podcast to be about. So I will provide a link to that in the show notes. And I encourage everybody to listen to that episode uh, where we discuss your background, your time in Zurich. And then when you returned from Zurich, you got your PhD in clinical psychology, and I had asked you why. So we covered all that in the first episode. And in this episode, we are going to focus on your new book, which will be released at the end of this month. Today is November 11th. It will be released on the 20th. It's available now for pre-order on Amazon. I did get an advanced copy of the book. And it is wonderful. It's nice and long. It's 15 chapters. So would you tell us a little bit about how that book came to be? Well, you know, I think it in some ways evolved uh, from our last discussion, even though I had already been working on it when we spoke before. Mm -hmm. It actually goes back quite a long way to my dissertation in Zurich, which was on the Puella. So why I'm saying that is that the evolution of our consciousness takes time, as well as the evolution of what has happened to our fathers and the absence of them, which is an issue which happens in families and in cultures and in how the daughters learn to accept the absence. Yeah. And then what happens is that becomes an internal 
absence. So how would you describe an absent father? So I'll give you an example of what often happens in analysis. When I ask people about their father, their interactions with them, and these people that I'm talking about are daughters, but it also applies to sons as well. Okay. They oftentimes will immediately start talking about their mother. Mm. And I will say, well, I just asked you about your father. Mm. Where was he? Well, he was around. This is the typical comment and the tone of voice. He was there when I was little. I said, well, then where did he go? Well, he was busy or he pushed me away or we didn't have anything to talk about or we just used to play together. So the father was a preoccupied father who also did not know how to relate to his daughter for many reasons. And the daughter learns to just accept it, just accept it. Mm -hmm. And then the analysis becomes about the mother and the father again goes unexplored. This happens culturally, as I said, not just in the culture of the United States, but in many cultures where there is a reason or reasons why the father is not there. He's working, he's emotionally unavailable, he's drinking after work, he is sitting there, he's playing with the sons, he's doing a million things, but he's not being the father to the daughter as we might, might imagine it. And this piece has gone actually unexplored. So the unexploredness of it intrigued me. Yeah. Let me add one other thing, which is that, um, you know, Jung had four daughters. Mm-hmm. And he didn't write about daughters and fathers. What he wrote about was the archetypal aspects, which is one thing. But he didn't write about that many archetypal aspects of fathers and daughters. So again, it was an, a piece. I, I, I'm not saying that Jung should have done everything mm-hmm. at all, but I think it's a piece that has been not addressed sufficiently. Now, do you think that that might have something to do with a man's history of relationships with women. For instance, my father was an only child, so he didn't have any sisters. He was sent away to a military academy um, for high school that was all men. So when he married my mother, that was really his first experience, aside from his mother, of a woman. And then I was his only daughter. I would definitely define him as an absent father uh, for many reasons. And I, I like to emphasize that when in the title of your book, The Absent Father Effect on Daughters, you're not just talking about fathers who weren't there at all, who abandoned the family or were deceased. Um, but in the ways that you mentioned, they were preoccupied, they didn't know how to relate. So I'm just wondering where a man would kind of know how to relate to a daughter if he wasn't taught that? Well, if he's not taught it, it becomes very difficult. But you bring in another aspect, which is that um, uh, how does he learn to relate to the female if he um, himself is the only child. But you see, the other thing is that he sees the parents relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And and whatever he sees there, he might integrate or he might not integrate. But if he's following the outer or the inner aspect of the generations of fathers before, those fathers did not have to be emotional. They didn't have to be with the family. Right. They, they, it was fine. They were what is called the providers, not the emotional providers. What I talk about is 
and emphasize actually, or want to emphasize, is that even if fathers were there, they didn't know what to do. So the absence is not just a physical absence, it's an emotional absence. So some fathers were there, but they did not know how to be emotionally present, guiding, helping, loving, nurturing to their daughters. How do they learn it? Well, they're not going to learn it in a military school. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to necessarily learn it in our general culture. And oftentimes they've not learned it in the family structure, even though we have to take into account that the family structure is changing. But it is still a very small percentage yes. of, of fathers who will be there um, with the mothers. So this is another typical comment of people in analysis that who have said, you know, they might have a baby. So I will say, well, uh, what about your partner? What about your husband? He helps. That is the absent father. Mm-hmm. He's helping. I, I, you're telling him what to do. <laughs> yeah. Where is the, yeah. in, the instinct for wanting to be present. Mm. And it's a presence that is an emotional depth presence. And when that isn't there, it sets up a lack in the psyche of the daughter and a hole inside of her. That's why I called father the subtitle, father desire, because that desire is always there. Mm -hmm. And father wounds. Because the wound remains. Depends on what you do with the wound. Wow. So there's a lot there. Uh, Would you say that when a man decides to become a parent, that it is his job to know how to be emotionally there for his children, not just physically, not just the provider, but it's his responsibility i would say it's his responsibility towards consciousness Mm -hmm. and his responsibility towards himself that he would want to stretch himself to areas where he doesn't know which is what which is what consciousness is it's you know i'm unconscious here how am i going to expand myself into consciousness and to to be able to see what my daughter needs, to be able to be there with her, to encourage her body, to encourage her liking of herself, to encourage her advancement, to encourage her going beyond me. You know, some fathers are envious of their daughters and they they don't want them to go beyond them. It can be very destructive. When you look, I'm going to give an example. When Mm -hmm. you look at the fairy tales, the father's, I, I speak about this in the book. The fathers disappear after the first sentence. Some of them make it to the first paragraph and they're gone. Where do they go? It's almost like they're there to set up the story. That's it. They leave the daughter to deal with the bad stepmother, the envious, whatever, how to find the prince or whatever that represents also internally. Um, And they just leave her. And it actually represents, sadly, what happens to many daughters. They get left. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So before we talk about the daughters, I want to stay on the fathers. So when, are they not present for the just the daughters, but they are present for the sons, I'm sure in some cases? Um, I think that the presence is a presence of playing uh, sports Mm -hmm. or um, teaching tasks. I'm I'm using it stereotypically, and I think that stereotype still applies because the fathers don't know what else to do by and large. They're not expected to do anything else. Do they emotion? How many men have I sat with and said, did your father talk to you about how he felt? 
Oh, never. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. So the father, he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's bewildered and he doesn't know who to ask. So that father is facing his own emotional lack. Yeah. Is he a little more present for his sons? Well, maybe he spends a few more minutes with them, but it's quite different than being emotionally present and teaching about the emotional way to live life. Because how do you live life fully if you're not emotionally present? So when you went back to the fathers, let me add that the book is actually for, for fathers as well. Mm-hmm. It's for both fathers and daughters because there's been an absence of him, sadly. In the last chapter, I was going to bring this up at the end, but it's fitting now. You say, and I wrote that this is an important point, you say the absence of fathers affects them as well as their daughters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the you know, we can imagine that the father is is lacking the joy of knowing his uh, daughter. He, he doesn't know what she feels and thinks. He doesn't know what she needs because he doesn't ask her. He doesn't know what her goals would be. He does oftentimes. He, he doesn't, it's not, it's, he's ignoring her, but, but he isn't because he doesn't know how to ask. And I'm not letting him off the hook on this one either. I, I really, the point of all of this is to bring more consciousness. Mm-hmm. Be, because we're all lacking when we're not conscious. So now I'm wondering uh, about a man's awareness of his anima, which is his his inner female, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is th- Does that come into play here about how in touch he is with his inner feminine aspects, female aspects? I, I think it does, but also in the sense that oftentimes the father is uncomfortable with the daughter as a representative in a certain way, I'm talking about symbolically, mm-hmm. this inner female self, we could ask again, what does he learn about how to relate to all the figures inside of himself, one of which is the feminine. And again, this is, I'm speaking about this going beyond gender. So it's kind of... Yes. We all have these range, a range of flexible figures inside of us. We hope that they're flexible. Too often, the fathers have a prescribed script. They, they're, they, they're kind of in a rigid position. So from that rigidity, how do they find the inner space to be able to relate to and honor their whatever the feminine means because you know we're in a fungible world mm-hmm. and we want to honor all aspects of what it could represent i don't know that they really learn or have learned i think more are learning how to honor the feminine yes and in chapter three which is titled father desire father wounds you ask, is a daughter a threat to him? Mm-hmm. And I never really considered that before. What did you mean by that? Well, it, it just goes back to what you had said. When the father is um, unaware of what the female means or what the feminine means, the growth of the daughter, so she's kind of safe when she's a little girl, but as she grows bigger, she's got her own opinions and her body changes. Mm-hmm. And this can become very threatening to people who are not in touch with their body selves and also with their feminine self. And so oftentimes, it is amazing how often it happens, they push the daughter away. 
by doing that, they're pushing their own feminine parts away. Mm -hmm. If they could bring her close, they would learn the beauty of their daughter and how to encourage her and also how to grow themselves. Because any relationship is a dynamism and a, a, an evolving kind of thing. So when the father pushes the daughter away, metaphorically, he's saying, you're changing, I'm rejecting you, because I don't know what to do here. Mm -hmm. and the daughter internalizes that as, uh, what's the matter with me? Or I'd better stop, or I'll tone myself down. Mm -hmm. And the father is also stopped within himself. And his own female side is stopped from growing. So if there are any fathers listening to this right now who have daughters and are seeing this in themselves and don't know what to do, what can they do? Oh, well, I, I, well, okay. So they can do what, uh, they can get into some kind of therapy or analysis. Mm -hmm. They can try to figure it out that way. They can pay attention to their dreams. They can talk with their spouse and they can talk with their daughter and they can say, wow, what, what are you needing right now? What, how can I help you? What would you like? How do you feel? How do you feel today when you came home from school? Mm -hmm. Some children are going to school now still. And, and, uh, what, and do you want to, do you want to, what would you like to do with me? Mm -hmm. I'm going to come, and the other piece is, I'm going to come and watch your game. I'm going to watch your uh, race. I'm going to support you. By that, they will start learning about themselves. But it takes a lot to say, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know starts the inner journey. And it's, it can be marvelous, but of course it's fraught with, you know, obstacles and ups and downs and the reason I said about talking with someone is not to say that everyone will want to go into therapy or analysis mm -hmm. but it certainly helps because yeah. we all need guides where we don't know where we're going right right and you mentioned the body and that is something that is quite difficult to talk about as uh, a daughter and our bodies begin to change as we hit puberty and we maybe don't feel as close to our fathers anymore because there's just this awkwardness there where you're uncomfortable and you're more comfortable with your mom. Um, so that pushes the father away, uh, not consciously. Uh, and he maybe thinks, okay, well, that's the mom's territory. She'll, she'll deal with that. And as a woman, uh, matures and her body doesn't, it's not just her body that changes, uh, physically, but also, um, a woman starts menstruating and a man can't relate to that. And it's just a lot of awkwardness. Again, I wonder if, some men who grew up with sisters um, are just more comfortable with that and more accepting of that. And I wonder, because I don't know. Well, it might be easier if there are sisters, but I do wonder if we're wondering that if the daughter feels as she begins to menstruate, her body changes, that she feels from the father the push away, not her own awkwardness only, right? but that there is a something, so many women say this, something changed. I don't know what changed. Now he pushed me away. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to push her away. He could say, tell me what you're going through. I understand your body is different than my body. And so let's talk about it. How do you feel? He could say the exact same thing that the mother says, mm -hmm. and it would give all of them 
so much more of an expanded world to be able to talk about it. Yes. But I think that the other thing that happens is that there's an apprehension about one's sexuality. Yeah. The father's sexuality, he sees this young girl developing, doesn't know what to do with his feelings. Well, he should honor them, not act them out, certainly, right? right? But honor them. And that will help the daughter honor her own body. Because too many daughters to this day are way not focused on the positiveness of their own bodies. They develop all kinds of things that um, speak to the body stopping or uh, wearing out or because they've been fighting for so long to feel all right in their bodies and they can't get there. Yeah, and speaking of the body, there was there was porn in in the house that I grew up in. And you know, Playboy was I grew up in right outside of New York City. Play the P- Playboy Club was big and Playboy magazine and all of that stuff and I saw that it was in the house and I it, it, I was very confused about it as a child. Like what is this, you know, and and women, you know, this is, I I don't look like this. And it just, I don't know, it it really affected my image of a woman. Well, let's, let's say that um, now we can all access who knows what on the internet. Right, that's true. Okay, and very young, 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 young children can access a million things on the internet. So if there is a free flow of presence, the presence of the father, the daughter will, if if the relationship has been evolving from the beginning, the daughter will feel that she can talk with the father mm-hmm. or he'll ask her, not just be repressive and you can't look at this and this, but what are you looking at on the internet and why? Not to be too intrusive because the privacy of the body is also to be respected, but to be aware of her healthiness in growing and that she will have questions. So why wouldn't he sit down with her and mm-hmm. say, do you have any questions? I'm here with you. There are so many ways one can say it. I think a lot of fathers have to learn how to do it, but it's a learnable skill if they're open to it. And the daughters will, of course, benefit. Because again, one of the things that I emphasize in the book is that the presence of the father who is absent is what is really uh, very hurtful and very psychologically debilitating mm-hmm. to the daughter. Mm-hmm. So to kind of go a little chronological in the book here. Uh, The next chapter, chapter four, is about the dead father effect. Mm -hmm. And you say it derives from the theories of Andre Green. Would you tell us a little bit about the dead father effect? Well, you mentioned I had um, given a couple of papers on the absent mother or dead dead mother effect. Mm That's also from Andre Green. But interestingly enough, people who have people have taken his uh, concept and applied it also to fathers. What it represents is the deadness is a depression, a lack of relatedness, an emotional emptiness that the father carries himself, and the daughter learns to try to fill in and make his world happy. And so what she takes on is his deadness, his emptiness, as if to take it away from him. Mm. Always like siphoning off. um, It's like a bloodletting in a way. I will make dad happy. And if he's happy, he will be there for me. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our our wishes and our desires. They're, They're natural. And Andre Green, I felt 
had written, it, it struck me so strongly, the dead father effect, the one who who isn't there, who is depressed, he doesn't even know what he's dealing with. It's, he's so empty inside and he doesn't know what to do. Typically it would be like maybe the father who works hours and hours mm-hmm. and that's all he can do or can't really relate in any kind of way. He's dead inside. I, we all know people like that, yeah. actually. And to be around them, if you're the daughter, you're automatically, again, going to try to make him better. And it takes too much out of her. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. And the, the what I was taken by Andre Green was this, again, it's very powerful. Just the words, the dead father effect. Yeah. You think about it. How does that affect me? What is that deadness? And where is mine? Because as I speak about the father, as we're talking now, it's the actual father, but it's also the father symbolically that we have taken in. That, that's why actually I included so many dreams about fathers. Mm-hmm. It, because that is the father, but that is also the archetypal father, the big father, or it is all and or it is who is that father inside of me? And yeah. how is he supporting me? How is he with me? And if he's dead, he's depressed, he's emotionally drained, and he doesn't know it, automatically it goes on to the daughter. So that's something that I learned in analysis that I was would never have thought of is, yes, I have a physical father, he's actually passed away now. So um, but I also have an internal father. And I thought, what? You know, so the father in me, how do I father myself? And I had never thought of it that way before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that brings me to the next chapter, which is about the negative father complex. And we often hear about the negative mother complex. And when I was promoting this episode, this upcoming episode on Twitter, somebody uh, had responded to me and said, you know, I'm so looking forward to this episode because we're always looking at the mother and we never look at the father. And she was excited about we're going to be talking about the father. So the negative father complex and the chapter title is bad dad. So would you say a little bit about that? Yes, I, I think that, um, again, many of the dreams in the book portray the father in a very bad light. Mm -hmm. And I did that purposefully. Mm -hmm. Because when you hear an accentuation of something, it makes it clear yeah like you know straight in front of you and i think it your the comment of the person who had commented on your twitter account strikes me as interesting that person does not realize that they're probably walking around with the negative father complex because they haven't looked at it Mm. it makes us in many different ways it depotentiates you, you, we need whatever the father figure is, whatever the parental figures are. We need the strength of them, the, the flexibility of them. We need to know where they're weak, where they need help. We need to know their humanness. If we don't, if we don't know how to use the good father energy, it becomes negative. It turns against so many women, I'm going to use that because of the book, so many daughters and women do not know how to use their energy. They waste it. They throw it away. They put it into, I don't know, somebody else. They do not use it for themselves. You can feel they don't know how to focus. Um, They won't know how to take care of themselves. That's the negative father complex as well. Not knowing how to take care of oneself. Mm -hmm negative Mm -hmm. self-talk. There's all kinds of things that go on inside that create this space. Jung defined the complexes. It's kind of like um, an island of a lot of emotional feeling content. And it could be so strong that it runs the personality, but 
also can go from generation to generation to generation. So that a current daughter is carrying the negative father complex from the father, from the mother, from many past generations. The awareness of a negative father complex is very helpful. Once you realize how it functions inside of you, you can know not what to do about it, but you can recognize it. And from there, try to figure out how to involve it in your life in a better way. So now how would you differentiate the negative father complex from being animus possessed? Mm, Good point. Well, okay. Classically, Jung, in his description of the animus, makes one wonder that it's Mm. a bit narrow, that it's a bit narrow. And the animus possession that Jung classically spoke about, and quite a few people after Jung, Mm -hmm. um, and this has changed, let me say, this has changed, Uh, narrowed it into the woman is too opinionated, she's too intellectual, she thinks she knows too much. It, It can become in a very, it goes off into a negative street. So the animus possession is kind of a tricky concept. One wants to be in relation to all these psychological parts inside. In general, any kind of a possession means it's got you. Mm-hmm. You don't have it. So it, in, in however we're going to define the animus, and again, it's really brought forward currently in an expanded version that isn't as narrow as it Jung wrote about it, Mm -hmm. true for the anima as well. And then our challenge is to not be possessed by some old thing, you could say in general. And how are we living currently with all of our energy? Any possession means you're not using all your energy. And with a complex, a negative father complex. Right. How would you contrast it with that? You know what? I would say they're kind of similar. Mm -hmm. Just off the top of my head. I would say that they're kind of similar because when you're taken over by a negative father complex, you're really you're not able to function on all pins. And one is quite, there's quite a lot of, um, destruction inside. So possession and a negative father complex are kind of similar Mm -hmm. in ways. And in chapter seven, you talk about the as if personality. And we talked about that a little bit in our previous episode. And so why do you bring that in here? Because I think that many daughters learn, it goes back to all the things that we've said, They learn to pretend Mm -hmm. and they learn to put on a good show. I I can't tell you the amount of people who come into analysis and have said, you know, I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. This is, they know it. I won't say that that is all there is to the as if personality, but that's how I'm talking about it there of somebody who relies on the facade and the persona and the sparkle to get through the the core of the self is what is avoided so the as if personality is exactly what it sounds like and to me it it comes from the concept um hester solomon a jungian analyst in britain brought it forward from helena deutsch in the 1940s and she was a Freudian psychoanalyst. And she described, they all describe it as kind of a vapid seeming, but also very entrancing kind of person. So the sparkle outside doesn't allow anybody to get inside. Mm. And the sorrow is the intimacy is sacrificed to oneself and to others. 
this is kind of a short version, mm-hmm. but it's a, it is a tragedy when you can't be as intimate as you want, because intimacy is honesty and it's being laid bare. And that is the threat to the as if personality. So what can the daughter do when she becomes an adult and realizes that there's some wounds there from not having a present father, not having that emotional connection. And there we are. Uh, You have a chapter, chapter eight is called The Dialogue of Therapy. And you talk about in-depth psychological work between the patient and the analyst and what the analyst challenges. Mm -hmm. So where do we go from there? Well, you know, again, because of what I do, I believe that it's helpful for um, someone to bring the wounds to a place where they can trust and they feel that they can, over time, figure out themselves. Wounds are helpful because you know you never, you don't find out about yourself by just eating candy. Right. Work. So the wounds, because they hurt, cause us to seek assistance. And what repairs relational wounds, but relationships. One of the things that I mentioned in that chapter is the, the, the female analyst or therapist can certainly uh, help repair, deal with, and understand the absent father. Because much of the transference, counter, trans, the transference is onto the female therapist as the father. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Yeah. And that, to me, that's helpful because then the issue is right there and then we can deal with it. it you know, when things are hiding, it makes it harder to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think speaking with somebody really helps because, you know, when we're only speaking to ourselves, we run up against our own defenses and we can't get anywhere. So when you mentioned possession or complex, you can't get through it alone. I don't think anybody has. It takes the other. And again, if you're somebody who didn't have the father as the other, you have to find it someplace else. Mm -hmm. It's possible to find it other places. Yes. Mm -hmm. In In other relationships. In other relationships. Absolutely. Yes. So the next chapter is titled, If He Loves Her, Where Is He? Right. Well, that kind of says it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. In other words, it accentuates the point of his absence. And um, he... The, the, the she's searching to have a father and and, and and what what are the effects then if of this which I think that that needs to be emphasized is if if fathers would know right here yeah. you're, you're gonna tell us how does this negatively affect your daughter when you are not emotionally present for her well I, I don't know that I really have a list, but I can say <laughs> right. that right. there are a few things that are pretty important. One is that will she will she manifest all of her intellectual abilities? Will she go as far as she wants to go in her life? Will she be as athletically proficient as she wants? Will she find the love that she needs? Will she, and this is important, Will she love herself? And will she continue to search and grow her whole life, whole life? And even as she ages, will she know the value of who she is? I don't care how old she is. She will know that she's valuable, that she has wisdom, that she has confidence, that when she falls down, she can come up again. These are all really important things she'll like her being not always nobody likes themselves always but she will explore the world 
you know, if she wants to go to Mars, she'll line up. And her future relationships with men will be affected by this relationship with the father. Her relationships with all people will yeah. be expected, will be affected by the relationship with the and father. In, and in, would you say something about the choice of a mate, a partner, if 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 she's heterosexual, of a man, um, and what? what the influence of the absent father is on her choice. Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a complex, like the psyche, it's complex because um, one internalizes, of course, the father. So sometimes the, the daughter actually has become like the father. And so what does she need? She actually needs a mother or she needs another father figure. See, I'm going to mix it up here. Mm -hmm. Whatever she needs, she will have to find because she won't be complete. Even if she has a totally present father, she won't be complete. So she who has the absent father, she might seek a mother who will help her, a mother figure, mm -hmm. and that could be of either sex, who will help her straighten out the issues that she's gotten quite confused about, of how to use her own father images inside in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. If she can't figure out how to do that, she will probably find somebody who will continue to act towards her the way the father did. Mm -hmm. And she won't manifest all of her personality if that is the case. Mm -hmm. So what about the idealization of the father? You see, that's kind of dangerous place. Yeah. We live in patriarchal culture. Mm -hmm. The father is idealized. And, and what does that do to the female who learns, does she then learn to idealize herself in a healthy way? So if it all goes to the father, what goes to her? And then she won't be able to see what is lacking in the father, what needs repair in herself, and she will be taken advantage of in probably the wrong kinds of ways. Because idealizing if you idealize the wrong kind of a figure or a figure that is insufficient, or I could say if people idealize young. Yeah. The point is you want, don't want to idealize anybody. Yeah. You want to hold the, I, 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 if I could say this, you want to hold the ideal of yourself as something reasonable to attain. Not that somebody else doesn't have more, but or better that's always true but that idealization puts them on too much of a pedestal it leaves the daughter out it leaves the daughter out mm -hmm. it does yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and then you also write about being daddy's girl and that is kind of the puella isn't it it is it's the puella that we spoke about before and uh, she gets, she oftentimes gets to a certain age, well, throughout life for many people, and she's lauded for it. She's a daddy's girl. Yeah. So many women, they say, I'm daddy's girl. What, what does that mean to be a daddy's girl? Does that mean, one, you're an adult woman, you're a girl? Does that mean that he owns you? Does that mean that you have your own independent spirit? Can you take another position? So a daddy's girl can be very limiting. On the other hand, the puella really, and I mentioned this, which I found quite interesting. I didn't know it before. Mm -hmm. In Roman times, my goodness, she was sexual and she was mature and she was independent, many different aspects than what we determine now as the daddy's girl or puella right 
And, and the point of the puella is not, okay, so if you're a puella, realize it, realize the values, the beauty of it, the creativity and the energy and the youth and the sparkle, but you don't have to be daddy's girl and owned by him to manifest you. This is making me think of something in the popular culture. Uh, right now, airing on ABC is a show called The Bachelorette. And I was, I happened to be watching it because they had cast a 39 year old woman who was mature and independent and as opposed to, they usually cast very young women who don't seem at all to be ready for marriage. But I was watching that episode and she found somebody right away among the suitors, but she kept saying she wanted a man who reminded her of her father. And I thought, whoa. Well, I, I, my reaction is quite the same. Um, is that we could say, it brings up questions. Does she want to be always in the same relationship as she was with her father? We could also ask, was that a good relationship? Well, now, and, and I just want to interject here. Her father had passed away, and she is still very much grieving him. Oh. That, well, that, that throws another wrinkle into this. It, it very much does, because one has to also grieve what you didn't have. Yeah. You, you can't just replace it with something the same. You have to grieve what you did not have. And we all have lacks. So it's not the issue of having a lack. It is how do we grieve it and how do we repair it? But we repair it within, not by finding another figure mm. who will substitute for the one who we have, we didn't have. Mm -hmm. Again, very complex. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The following chapter is on narcissism, which is something that you've written about, spoken about. And I want to mention that I pulled out a quote uh, to tweet, which is something I've been doing for years. Um, when I'm getting ready to do an episode or after I do an episode, I like to quote from my guest and the books that we're talking about. In chapter 12, you wrote, narcissism has to do not with self-love, okay. but with self-hate. Yes. And that got a huge response because we don't hear it framed that way very often. And that is what is at the core of narcissism, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. That, uh, incidentally, those are not my words. That's a words from um, one of the analysts that I think you had had on your program a while ago, and that was from Nathan Schwartz Salant. Yes. Okay. So, and, and no relation to me either. But uh, that quote has struck me forever as, as very, very powerful because it's true. Mm -hmm. A narcissist does not know themselves equally. They do not really like themselves. They come up across as grandiose. They come across as distant. They, you don't get close to a narcissist, mm -hmm. really. And they come across as, yes, that they, they know it and they're fine. But it's really a flimsy cover once you poke it uh, into underneath. There's a great deal of defeat. I don't like myself for this reason, that reason, and another reason. If the narcissist can get into and if they will let you in to the place of self-hate, then there's a way of shifting and moving the narcissism. Mm. It really is not about self-love, sadly. They, they don't really love themselves. So why did you include a chapter on narcissism in this book? How does it fit into the absent father effect? Well... You know, um, there are many narcissistic fathers mm -hmm. who, for whom or to whom, again, one cannot get close and or, I'm going to ask a question or a statement, does it not set up within the daughter her own defense 
of narcissism as in kind of like the as if personality. I'll pretend or I'll be self-reliant or I love myself or I don't need anything from the mm-hmm. father mm-hmm. and I don't have any needs from the other, which is really what a narcissist is. I don't see the other. I don't need the other. The other does not exist. So the daughter learns that with the father who isn't really present because there's no place to put her needs. I'm not saying she doesn't have a mother or a mother figure because that's important too, but that's not really the slant of the book. But I think she learns as a, as a defensive maneuver to be narcissistic because the father wasn't there. No one to rely on. To be narcissistic is not the same as pathological narcissism, right? Right. I'm not talking about the, um, the pathological piece. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's not to say it doesn't apply, mm-hmm. but that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm addressing more the, how would I say it, kind of the average narcissist right. that is walking around that people complain about. I can't have a relationship with my narcissistic partner. Well, the reason is that that person has learned to be singular. And one learns to be singular when the father is not there. Mm. The father could be present, but he's not emotionally connected. So the daughter, out of default, learns to be singular. I'm on my own, but singular emotionally. I don't need anything. And that turns into that image of, you know, I'm, I'm fine. But underneath it is a torrent that is going on, a war inside, really. Mm -hmm. And then the next chapter, you bring in the shadow, the body in shadow. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that a lot of women learn to neglect their body. Yeah. And in many different ways. And sadly, a lot of women get ill. Well, I'm not saying men don't get ill either, mm-hmm. but but the illness is also, um, I think this is the one where I speak about uh, Julia Kristeva. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, she wrote about the body as abject, and that struck me quite as close to the shadow, like it's put away, it's negated, it is uh, in the shadows, it is to be hidden. It is not to be honored. And this does not depend on how much one weighs or how one looks. There ideally should be pride in how one is. But bodies, as we see in our culture and on Instagram, on Facebook, on whatever social media and everywhere, the body is supposed to be a certain way. And if you are beyond that in age, in size, in culture, in this, in that, you don't fit. And so where does your body, how do you feel good about your body? And if you don't feel good about your body, how do you also, it's part of one's psyche, is the body. Yeah. So they all go together. And the reason I also brought in the body is one, I think it's incredibly important. I think that too often people look upon analysis or therapy as just in the mind. Right. They forget that it's really in the body and it's body based as well. Instincts are in the body. So what gets put, as Chris David talks about it, abject, pushed aside, negated, is the instinctual reaction to oneself. It's, It's incredibly important. And again, if you don't have that relationship with the father, it's one more place where you learn, I'm not okay. I don't look like father. Look at where he goes. I don't look like him. How do you find out you're okay then? You also bring up Sylvia Plath and Sylvia's daddy. Right. in chapter 14 and I know you've written a lot about Sylvia Plath mm-hmm. and 
you bring it up here in connection, um, the connection between mourning and creativity. And you say her writing can be viewed as a, as a compensation for the loss of the good object, focusing here on the father. Um, yes. Well, again, I think this is one aspect of what influenced her. You could, we could almost say that out of the air, father died when she was quite young. Mm -hmm. So out of that absence and she was not allowed to mourn. So where all of her energy, and I think she was born with it anyway, her creativity went really, and that you could see it very clearly evolving through her life. And we all have this evolution in our lives. Well, maybe not all of us, but it's possible that things get more intense. And so towards the end of her life, she wrote her incredibly powerful, bold, clear poems, one of which was Daddy. And in it, she speaks very clearly how she feels, how she is finally going to kill him off. But that could also be a release from the culture a release from the father and the identification with death, a release from her connection with her husband, which was painful, mm -hmm. a release, and she was abandoned by him, or how she, that's how she felt about it. Right. Well, I don't know how she felt about it. That's what they say she felt about it. And the poem, I feel, is such an outpouring in a powerful way and a creative use of her energy. Sadly, I might also add, um, she wrote it in October of 62 and killed herself in February of 1963. So it was almost as if, what do they say? Some people are um, short stars and some people are uh, late bloomers. Mm -hmm. Well, she was a short star and left a great deal of her creativity to following generations who have taken inspiration from it. That not that they will have to have that kind of vociferous attitude towards their fathers, but there was something about the poem which spoke about release. And creativity is a release as well. It's release, it's expression, it's powerful. Yeah. The last chapter of the book is called Filling the Absence. Oh, right, yes. So I thought we would end with this. Well, here is, here is the hope that absence actually is like a, it's a hole and it wants to be filled. So we, as daughters, as fathers, as people, have a opportunity, many opportunities, to fill the absence with something different that evolves from our past into our present and into our future. And I want to add that even though, and I say this at the beginning, if this is slanted on the negative, it does end with hope. Because I do believe that as we work on ourselves, we add to the culture of the world and of our own personal lives and to everybody we interact with. So absence is there, holding hope inside of it, and we get to answer it. Please visit the website speakingofyoung, that's J-U-N-G, dot com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now on Amazon Music. And it will be available later in the week on our YouTube channel, Jungi and Laura. You can also listen to this podcast on your Amazon Echo device, simply by saying, Alexa, Play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts or TuneIn. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. With special thanks to the Taylor & Francis Group 
and to Routledge, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to Speaking of Young.